Hello everyone, I appear to be on my own in the studio. I sent Jamie off two days ago to find Ian into the depths of the Brainwaves HQ, but he hasn't come back yet at all, so I guess I'm soloing this one? Yeah, probably, probably soloing this one. So I guess I'll just get into Hello, it. Hello, Jamie, really. found me! We're by the coffee machine. We've been drinking coffee for two weeks straight. How's it going? Hi, where, hi. Where, 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 where's Jamie? Oh, there he is. I'm up here. Oh, he's up right here. here. We both got all the coffee we could ever want. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I went as you said, and um, uh, it, it was crazy. It was crazy. There's, there's um, wild copies of of running about, uh, running about. The 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 mice have formed like massive armies of of. Uh, and to say nothing of the cats, the cats, oh, the cats. Um, but Ian Jamie. found me. Ian, Ian Jamie. found me. Jamie. Yes. Is it just coffee you've been drinking? Ian found me. We've also had some espresso. How much? Like, are we talking liters? We're talking locks. Oh, dear. So uh, I guess I'll run this, shall I, then? I'll be fine. Okay. I'll be fine. Sit down. We will sit down, both of you. But Ian's here. Ian's here. Ian's here. See, I told you I'll go, I go get Ian. I told you I'll go get Ian. I told you I'll go get Ian. And Ian is here. Ian, Ian is here. And that's very good. You've been very good, Jamie. You've done a very good job. That's a good Jamie. On with the show. Anyway, I'm Ian McAllister. I'm Ian Chandler. And after having a cup of tea, I'm Jamie Adams. And this is Brainwaves episode 57, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 28th of September, 2020. Hasbro has their finger on the pulse. Awards are back, or did they never leave? And Critical Role gets charitable. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Well, in a complete surprise to no one, our top headline this week is going to be about a game from the past. Shortly after the last cast went out, a mysterious new site appeared under the HeroQuest branding with a countdown to a reveal. Now, if you're unaware of what HeroQuest is... I am. Yeah, Jamie has never played HeroQuest, ladies and gentlemen, so he's getting fired shortly after we finish this cast. He's hanging around for this one, but he'll be gone that later, so... Fulfilling my contractual obligations. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's got to do at least one cast before I can fire him. So anyway, uh, this is a team-up between Games Workshop and Milton Bradley in 1989 to produce an adventure board game where one player controlled the story and all the evil people, and the rest played heroes battling against him. It was a big part of a lot of people's childhoods, including my own. Uh, I played a lot of HeroQuest, had a great fondness for it. Well, now it's back in a new shiny edition from Hasbro, and hoo boy, nostalgia is not cheap. The game is being funded through Hasbro's own crowdfunding site, something we didn't realise existed until this happened. It's called Pulse, and you can pre-order the game for $99. There is a special edition for $149 with a couple of expansions. Uh, The Pulse exclusive edition will also have gender-flipped versions of the core characters, though it seems these are not going to be available in the retail edition. Boo. Uh, The game is also only available in the United States and Canada at the moment. Although not Quebec. Though not Quebec. Don't know why they don't like Quebec, but there you go. And uh, at the time of recording, it has currently broken its funding goal of a million dollars to sit at $1.4 million. 
there's been quite a bit of sort of like weird nerd rage about this and some people really happy about its return some people sort of angry about the fact that they can't really get it in europe i know a couple of people i know really want it i'm just more confused about who this is for it's not really a family game anymore like not really affordable as that anymore and now we can't we're making a speculation here a little bit of speculation about the mechanics and that kind of thing but by the looks of the components and what's in that box it doesn't look like much has changed and hero quest although as i say i have a great fondness for it and i'm going to be putting out an article the week this podcast goes out about games that have influenced me over the years and hero quest is going to be on that list i played it again recently with paul grogan and a couple of other people on stream and that is a game that has not aged well it needs a good update like restoration games do with their revival games what do you guys think about this about about hero quest coming back for this price point so I have a very privileged position of finding a full, good quality copy of HeroQuest in a charity shop genuinely about 10 years ago. And after spending so much of my childhood looking at HeroQuest and Advanced HeroQuest and White Dwarf and just imagining what it was like, I immediately bought it. And as an adult, I went to play it. This is before I knew anything of decent board games, so my taste was basically Monopoly and Risk and all that nonsense. I was so disappointed by it <laughs> as an adult, <laughs> like crushingly disappointed. I played a single game as a walkthrough by myself so that I could teach my friends, and I put it back on a shelf, and it went on eBay. And the best bit of joy I had was looking at the furniture, and the, but the actual mechanics of the game are so dated, and yeah. they're just they're just garbage, to be frank. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that they're. I mean, they're of their time, certainly, and it was yeah. It, it sat in a weird position here, quest between like being a mainstream game and being a hobby game, and there's a huge amount of nostalgia for it. It was it was a like I say it was a big part of people's childhoods, but sometimes you should not go back to those things. It's like going back <laughs> and watching the cartoons you enjoyed as a kid. You're yeah. like, I remember this cartoon being great, and then you watch it as an adult and go, I was an idiot. <laughs> this is why restoration games are so good because they aim to meet your nostalgia yeah they sort of revive it and change the mechanics and sort of bring it up to date a little bit now i haven't played any of the restoration game stuff but they they're carving out a good reputation for doing that kind of thing and got return to the dark tower coming out later this year i think the kickstarter hits i believe it is i said i have no idea i mean i know of hero quest um yeah reading like from what you've described it's uh sounds like it was marketed as a board game version of like Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games. Yeah, and that basically has been that. Controlled yeah. and has been you know evolved and aped by things like Mansions of Madness or Zombicide or things like that. I mean, like the the obvious spiritual successor to it, something like Warhammer Quest, uh, when when that originally came out, and the newer ones, I guess, a little bit, but. I'm not a great fan of those, but that's a, a story for a different time. But yeah, it, it gave me my first sort of taste, slight taste of the GM role, like controlling monsters and the story a little bit and that kind of thing. And uh, I talk, talk a little bit about that in the article coming out. Well, either by the time you've listened to this or certainly the week this podcast goes out. But let us know what you think, folks. Are you going to be backing HeroQuest? What do you think about the fact that it's only available in the States and Canada? Is it something that should be gone back to? Is it something that should be revived differently? Uh, let us know what you think. Get in touch. Jamie, you said rewards were over, but they're not. They're not, Jamie. You lied to me. 
You lied to me and the listeners. I, I'm sorry, listeners. I didn't mean to lie to you. I merely assumed. And assuming is not a great thing. So I'm dusting off my awards Homburg, putting it on. And we have, oh, I have two more pieces of awards news for you. Yes, it is the Deutscher Spielpreis, which is the German Game Prize, which is voted for by members of the public. Now, this is being won by, funnily enough, a game that's won several awards this year, and that is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. Now, the awards have begun in 1990, and they well, the votes come in from all over the place, each person voting for their top five games, uh, and then the award has then worked out from collating those nominations. Now, uh, the prize itself... Well, being from members of the public, it tends towards the more hobbyist side of the industry, people who are taking a very active role in it. There is also a junior version of the award. Now, that went to Andor Junior, which is a more accessible version of Legends of Andor, the co-op adventure game about fighting monsters in a fantasy world. Which, I mean, that's a theme that I think should be plumbed a bit deeper, don't you, gents? <laughs> it's very rare, to be sure. No, I mean, the best thing about Legends of Xandor is its comparison to... <laughs> That's right, I've never played Hero Quest, but I know the memes. Uh, well Fantastic. done to... The... Thank you, thank you. Uh, well done to the crew work, the Quest for Planet Nine. And I have one more piece of awards news for you, and that is the uh, awarding of the Diana Jones Award. Now, this is a very prestigious award um, that was announced earlier in the year, but I forgot about it, and that's my fault. My apologies to you, the listeners. Now, this award doesn't generally get given to a game per se maybe it's a designer maybe it's a whole style of gaming or there's something in the industry that is notable it's yeah it's something the committee of the diana jones award wants to highlight now this year they are giving it to black excellence in gaming to in the committee's words recognize the often overlooked black professionals throughout tabletop gaming's history up to and including the present day so Black Excellence in Gaming now joins such storied individuals and establishments as Starcross, the role-playing game, Gen Con, and Eric Lang. Now, the Diana Jones Committee also announced that they are uh, establishing a Diana Jones Emerging Designer Award for next year. Now, this award will be used to amplify the voice of up-and-coming designers. Now, the committee expressed a hope that this year's award and the new one would help the gaming community at large move towards being more inclusive. Now, why is it called the Diana Jones Award? I say this every year, but I always like the story. It is, the award itself is a perspex pyramid in which is the last remnants of the physical copies of the TSR Indiana Jones RPG, which was so badly received that TSR recalled all the copies and destroyed all of them apart from a scrap of paper that says diana jones and that is the award moving on from awards well done to uh, black excellence i mean that sounds really patronizing well done to the black excellence in gaming but seriously awesome i'm really i'm really glad it's it's getting recognized and you know the diana jones award carries a great deal of weight this yeah, is absolutely it's gonna be a great movie yeah that's it's yes. genuinely yeah. good. It's genuinely good use of an award to like actually sort of lift something up and, and yeah. draw attention to it. But I, th- I think very few award systems, if you will, you know, would be able to do it. And Diana Jones Award for being, you know, not just games itself, but also yeah. concepts or ideas or things like you know, like Gen Con itself is the best place for it and the way to get make sure it's it's award is heard anyway enough about the awards i'll dust off the homburg this time i think i think that's the awards season over 
I think. Horde season is never over. Ian, you, I believe, have some news about Critical Role? Over the years of its existence, Critical Role, the popular actual play series, has done quite a bit of fundraising for a variety of causes. Now they are taking that charitable side of their endeavours a step further by forming the Critical Role Foundation, CRF, as it will formally be called in the rest of this podcast, a non-profit that will actively seek to raise money for causes they believe in. The very first fundraising campaign, they have partnered with the crew at First Nations, a non-profit that is dedicated to strengthening American Indian economies and supporting healthy Native communities. One of the ways they do this is through the Native Youth and Culture Fund, which is the beneficiary for the first campaign that CRF will take on. They're looking to raise $50,000. A small amount of each donation will also go into a fund that the Critical Role Foundation can deploy quickly to react to natural disasters and other needs something that seems wise in such a turbulent year. You can find out more about the foundation and donate on their site that we will link in the That's show fantastic. notes. fantastic. That is absolutely they, great. Uh, I wa- there's a little video on there that I watched, and apparently over the course of their history, Critical Role, their critters, I think they call their fans, or something like that, uh, they, they've raised something like $600,000 for a variety of causes, so I have no doubt that they, if they actually focus the power of their fan base they can raise quite a lot of money for some very good causes so great to see them doing such a thing yeah the quick relief fund sounds absolutely fantastic i mean given yeah how climate change is going that sounds necessary it's and you know with with critical role being i think the flagship for i'm gonna say i'm gonna make a bold statement here critical role being the flagship market or vehicle for role-playing games in the 2010s that's fair that they're yep. you know they're starting this foundation. This is great. Yeah, I'm 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 very happy for this. Right, enough enough about uh, gabbling on about the headlines. On to more news. First up is Ian McAllister with news about Cards Against Humanity. Way back in the before time, in episode 38, we reported on Cards Against Humanity's intention to open a board game cafe in Chicago, and the troubles they had run into going up against snakes and lattes who were already established in the city. Well, now it seems they have run into a spot of bother actually selling the cafe to their rivals, Amphil Technologies Incorporated, who are the owners of Snakes and Lattes. They had a bit of a rough time of it as Illinois closed down all restaurants in response to COVID-19 about a month after the restaurant got opened. Ben Castani, president of Snakes and Lattes, in one of the subtlest burns I've seen so far this year, said, There was just enough time for the cafe to earn rave reviews for its food design and overall awesomeness, but not enough time for Chicagoans to experience it. Burn. (laughs) I don't think that's a subtle burn. I think that's just no, it's really not. It's an outright dislike. Yeah, Yeah, you done goofed, son. Yeah, I think it's well deserved, given how Cards Against Humanity publicised and framed their cafe as the only and first board game cafe. That was the original controversy that they came up against with Snakes and Lies. Anyway, Ian, going from old news to even older games, very, very old games, in fact. Yes. Uh, Mike Bott, a 73-year-old metal detectorist and retired miner, has been detecting biting artifacts at a site in Torxey, Lincolnshire, since 1982. Recently, he has unearthed a complete set of 37 nephitaphal pieces, 
the famous Viking game from 872 AD. It is believed by some to be the oldest complete set of Nefertafel pieces ever found at one site. For over 40 years, Mike and two friends have been finding coins, brooches, and much more at the site. He says, It was later on, after showing many of our finds, the Fitzwilliam Museum in Cambridge, that the experts realised this was the Viking winter camp of 872 AD, when several thousand men of the Viking army overwintered. The pieces were first thought to be lead weights, or part of their currency of hack silver, but they were identified after comparison was made between the unearthed pieces and pieces in the Oslo Museum. Nefetafel, sometimes called Viking chess, was played from the 4th to 12th century in Northern Europe and the UK, funnily enough, where Vikings came from and settled. It has a fan of Fiona in the Lucky Sparrow, who I have played against, or played under the direction of, and been resoundingly beaten by. So if you ever want a game of Viking chess, pop to the Lucky Sparrow. Yeah, I've always wanted to try it. I used to have a set of it somewhere. I don't know if I still do. Yes, I do. I can see it from here. Oh, fantastic. My single favourite artefact in history is probably the um, the Orkney Chessmen. Oh, yeah, the, Lu- the Lewis Chessmen. Lewis Chessmen. Lewis Chessmen. That's it. Oh, they yep. So cool. Their faces are fantastic. Yeah, the, one, the, the, the one biting yeah. the shield and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's actual chess rather than Viking chess, but I'd, I'd love to play a game with them. Yeah, to play to play a game of chess with the Lewis Chessmen. I'd like to also play Nefertafel. Um, I, you know, when obviously lockdown is lifted a little bit more, I'd maybe like to go to the Lucky Sparrow and be tutored by Fiona. Indeed, it's genuinely a really good game, actually. Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, speaking of things with silly faces, like Viking chessmen, we go over to Jamie with Pokemon next month. It is going to be 21 years since Pokemon Red and Blue have been out in the UK. That's over 20 years of Pokemon. That's madness. I remember when it first came out. Anyway, I also remember the Pokemon trading card game. uh, Because I never played it, but I collected the cards. Because of course you wanted to collect the cards. Because it was Pokemon. Anyway, I'm getting away from my personal history. Um, An unopened first edition booster box of the Pokemon trading card game was sold last year at auction for $78,000. Now, that was a record, but that was last year. We've got one this year. A box has sold this year. Now, this is first edition, unopened, still in shrink wrap, all of that, and it has sold for double that. The box from the 1999 series has sold for $198,000 US dollars to you, sir. Now, that is 396 cards in that box. Now, I'm no mathematician. Uh, what do you think the odds are that you could make a complete set out of that? Very, very low. Yeah. Extremely. Extremely. Because, and way back in Brainwaves 34, we covered a similar story in as much as a mint condition complete set of the 1999 series cards went for $104,400. I mean, if you want to crack open your $198,000 investment, then go ahead. But uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, not not in this state, not in this economy. <laughs> yeah, but then but then again, you know, I don't <laughs> deal in rare Pokemon cards, so I don't know. Yeah, based on the economics of literally any collectible card game, that will at least half, if not quarter, in value as soon as you open yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, if you open it, that'll be it. Unless you unless you manage to get your hands on some very rare cards in there, I guess. Sell them individually somehow. I have that a feeling. Work. I have a feeling. 
no one will. Indeed, gents. Yep. Anyway, that's enough of the news and faffing around. Let's get into the brainstorm studio for a bit of a chat. So, with HeroQuest coming to its own crowdfunding platform on Hasbro's Pulse, and a lot of, a lot of controversy pops up every now and again about established publishers, people like Cool Mini or Not, uh, Aldrich Entertainment Group, sort of the big companies of the board game world continuing to use kickstar to over and over again fund their games we thought we'd have a wee chat about whether crowdfunding and kickstar in particular should it be used by established publishers should they should it only be for small publishers what do you think jets i'm gonna straight away leap in here and say what qualifies as an established publisher now on the one hand you have on the one hand you have cool mini or not on the other hand you have something smaller like Itten Games, Japanese company who's done games such as Tokyo Highway and is on Kickstarter right now for a game called, I believe, Crash Octopus, which is a, a dexterity game involving a big octopus. Are they established? Because they've got they've got quite a few board games. So, you know, like Tokyo Highway is very well known. I mean, I guess I guess we're talking about like sort of I, I guess when people start talking about this, they're basically meaning like the sort of multi-million dollar companies. Like the really big people who put out like quite a lot of board games in a year, not like smaller companies like Itten you mentioned there that are using the platform to to keep going and keep funding their their projects and maybe get a worldwide audience for something they may only release in their own country. But we're talking about like bigger companies that are sort of multi million dollar companies like Simon AG. No, I, I apologize. You know, I, I realize that might have been quite a derivative. No, no, no. It's it, it's it's worthwhile sort of defining the parameters of what we're talking about. Certainly, the, like the, the the two sides of it that I've seen are, and I've seen this from both big and small publishers. Is there's some some publishers saying uh, that having the big boys on that site draws attention to a wide range of projects. So, like the small publishers do get a bit of more eyes on their projects if a big on project is on there at the same time as them and some people actually line up their projects to to coincide with like big releases like that and the other side of it is that though the eyes of the general public are drawn to those particular projects because they are the big boys and the smaller ones don't get seen and i don't know whether that's that might be down to the algorithm of how kickstarter works or what kickstarter shows you when you go to its site more than anything what do you think Ian? yeah i think it very much depends on how you view kickstarter is it just like originally of course it's get people off the ground get them funded and create projects but yeah increasingly it seems it's just a pre-order front basically i think the definition between small and large publishers is worth looking at because it's basically are these large publishers who could get this capital elsewhere mm. um why are they on kickstarter is a good question. Like I, th- I think, like letter games, for instance, or leader games, however you pronounce games, that. Yeah. Let's let's call the whole thing off. I think they're an inter- they're an interesting example because they're reasonably well established. They've got pretty good distribution. Their games are well admired and bought, but they go back to the Kickstarter well fairly frequently for funding print runs. I really admire what they've done with Oath actually because following it has mm. it has been a genuine development process they didn't put up a finished game and say here's oath if you want to buy it buy it now and get these kickstarter exclusives or you'll never get them they put up a game and yeah. said this is oath it's in development you'll be able to watch it develop and then you'll get the game at the end 
and that development process has been fantastic to watch. Yeah, that's been really interesting. And do, do you think like because like something like a company like Kilmilly or not? Do you think the perception there is that they are putting out a finished game? Absolutely. And they are not developing because they still put out like updates and that kind of thing, but they have basically finished the game by the time they get to Kickstarter, right? Well, Ank hasn't been finished and that's that was kickstarted. Um, you see, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But you but you say like later games. I mean if you look at what later games has brought out, it is the two versions of uh Vast, the Crystal Cavern and Mysterious Manor. Yeah. Um, it's root, it's oath, and it's fork. So that's in essence like four or five games. Yeah, uh, and then also there's also expansions for that. Would you call them established now? See, I I would, uh, and partly because their games are very well regarded. Like they okay. are, they are okay. sought after and bought, and they they basically sell out of root pretty much every time they do a printing, as far as I'm aware, or they sell it pretty fast. Yeah, I think Root was the largest game of 2018 that wasn't like Monopoly or that kind of thing. Ooh, not sure about that. But, yeah, <laughs> interesting thought. <laughs> it was yeah, it was certainly at the top of everyone's list. The opinions list. of Ian Chandler do not opinions represent the opinions of the Brainwave crew. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Stegmaier games are probably a really interesting thing to look at because Jamie Stegmaier oh, yeah, yeah. left Kickstarter quite decisively, and yeah, in turn, I think he's had. A real issue drumming up the same publicity, which means he's got into quite a few kind of squabbles and issues in pushing that publicity, which yeah, he might not have got if he'd just put his games on Kickstarter and said look, if you want all this day one excitement, then it's on Kickstarter. Rather than trying to drum up this massive pre-order incentive and time, time constraints by himself. Yeah, we covered some of the problems fairly recently with with that, and he's had run into he's run into all sorts of problems, like getting word out about wingspan and like the distribution around that, and and all sorts of things around that as well. And there's a thing on Kickstarter as well that it becomes a community kind of thing. Like, well, I saw I saw some speculation that one of the reasons that Hasbro went and did their own crowdfunding was that they didn't want the hassle of basically having to chat to people who have got their own opinions about HeroQuest. Goodness. Because the the Pulse has no community thing. It's just a pre-order system for Hasbro's products. Oh, That's what wow. it is. It's, it's, it's much like the GMT 500. So if you're not aware of the GMT 500, uh, GMT produce a lot of um, sort of uh, hex war games and things like that. Uh, a lot of quite, quite, quite simply produced games. Very nice games, but and some ways very niche as well. And so, some of them very niche as well. Uh, and one of the ways they fund certain some of those titles is that they have a pre-order system where once it hits 500 or more pre-orders, they actually start to move it into production. So you, you might pre-order several months before you get your product because it, they only move it into production once they have enough money to actually fund a print run. So it's, it's a little bit more like that, the Pulse system, as far as I can tell. I mean, there's a lot of there's a, a whole other brainwaves basically on whether a well Hasbro is a billion dollar company should be using crowdfunding at all. But then again, why not? That system is there for them to use. It's proven on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and places like that. If you can hedge you your bets, it, they will come. Yeah, if you can hedge your bets a bit, even as a million dollar com- a billion dollar company, you're going to do it because. 
that's how you become a billion dollar company. <laughs> if there's anyone who does not have issues with a large print run producing capital and well, swelling up interest, then it is Hasbro reprinting a nostalgic game that nobody's been able to buy for 20 years. Fantasy Flight Games in the Twilight Imperium 4 documentary mentioned they had discussed going to Kickstarter or a similar crowdfunding measure because the cost of producing what they wanted with like flight stands and stuff had risen so much from Chinese manufacturing going up that the actual game was going to be incredibly expensive. But I think the industry would have turned on them for like the largest... I think people would have bought it, but the amount of bad blood they would have created is yeah. maybe why they disregarded it. And certainly there seems to be quite a bit of bad blood around HeroQuest, but people are still going to buy it, and people are buying it. And it will go to retail as well. So, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a really tough subject, this one, because... I, I think, like, personally, it, it attract like, Kickstarter needs big companies to be on there to do the multi-million dollar projects so that they can have a platform. And without that platform, the smaller publishers can't do their thing. It's like, it's like big blockbuster of cinema has to exist so that smaller independent cinema can exist, you know? It's that kind of thing, I think. Yeah, you can't you can't have one without the other really. Like one sort of funds or allows the other to exist. So we have Kickstarter, obviously, which is being used by several largest companies. But yep. we also have Hasbro with Pulse, which is their own one. Yeah. Do we think that an empire united must divide will occur and we may see splintering off if for example, a couple of years down the line, if Cool Mini or not still exists, they might go, do you know what? We're actually going to create our own crowdfunding website. Because, maybe. maybe. Because we like it. Because Hasbro has it. Now, a larger company like Fancy Flight Games, maybe they could. Now, again, this is all hypothetical. This is, you know, this is maybe incredibly derivative, and I'm, and I'm chasing the wrong thing here. I, I think what's happening here is that Hasbro are sticking their finger in the crowdfunding pie to see what happens yeah. and they're using they've done a couple of other things on pulse that are toys this is the first time they've done a game so i think this is hasbro testing the crowdfunding wars with their own system yeah and what better thing to do with than a, something that is hugely nostalgic for a bunch of people and will absolutely fund and they can see how it's going to work yeah that's that's my theory i think i think we'll see more from pulse over the next year after this does its thing Anyway, folks, tell us what you think about um, HeroQuest being on Pulse. Tell us what you think about big publishers being on Kickstarter. If you'd like to send us in a wee bit of audio for that, that's fine. We can feature on the cast or just let us know what you think um, and get in touch with us however you want. Jamie, this is the way. What? I've done my job. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, this is the way, apparently. We have some new Monopoly news, and that is, based on the Disney show of the same name, we have the Mandalorian Monopoly. Now, four players could play as either Mandalorian, Cara Dune, IG-88, or Queel, uh, which is a shame, a shame they didn't put uh, Carl Weathers in it, but then that's a personal thing, because I quite like Carl Weathers, uh, in Monopoly. Now, there are some differences to standard Monopoly rules. Each character has a unique ability, and if you pass over or land on the child space, the child is 
Baby Yoda, you know. You get the child piece and can use its ability, which may boost your own. Now, as well as this, there are bad guy pieces with whom you can interact, like uh, Moff Gideon and Stormtroopers. But you can battle them. Now, I don't know how that's going to work out, because in my research for it, I couldn't find any of the rules. Uh, but your job is to play Monopoly, but also keep the child out of Imperial hands. If they get the child, everybody loses. Are you, are you proceeding around the board by Werner Herzog? Well, bounty hunting is a dangerous profession. That was excellent. It's not one of my best ones. It's not one of my best ones, but you know, it's not terrible. I'm impressed. Um, well, thank you. There, there. Yeah, this game has a strange semi-co-op thing. I mean, maybe this is what I'm reading into it. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not necessarily against it, but speaking for myself, I'm not a huge fan of semi-co-op uh, mechanics in games. I'm, I, I guess I'm that either one person is going to win, and you know that from the beginning, or everyone is going to win, and you know that from the beginning. Not so much... Uh, Oh, you're all working together, but in the end, only one of you could actually win. Oh, there was bound to be an occasion of this, wasn't there? Mandalorian Season 2's out quite soon as well, so, yep. I can see yeah, why they've done I don't, it. I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Um, you can buy hideouts to increase uh, your property's value. Um, my apologies, I didn't know, I couldn't find out anyway if there were any other things you can get to improve them. Uh, the research wasn't forthcoming and details are still a little bit scant. I'd need to probably buy a copy and do it but i'm probably not going to buy a copy because i'll be honest the mandalorian some of it was really good but it's not enough to make me buy a copy monopoly because you know if you like it fantastic personally it's not a game i enjoy monopoly deal on the other hand i will uh, i'll sit down and play a game with you jamie has spoken Anyway, uh, we'd just like to give a little uh, update as to what's going on with the Giant Brain. We were recently on the UK Games Expo Twitch stream. You can now find that on their Facebook page and I think their YouTube, but we'll link to that in the show notes. We were chatting about all sorts of things, how the podcast came to be, the way we put things together, some of the ethics of what we do. Uh, It was really good chat, really nice to talk to the folks from uh, UK Games Expo and it heavily featured Ian's cat, Loki. So if you want to see Loki on camera, uh, that is the place to go. They were lovely. They were lovely, and it was very nice. They were and genuinely yeah, great. It was very, yeah, it was very good. Also, I've missed seeing Loki. Oh, of yep. course. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen Loki in ages. Anyway, and many thanks to our executive producers who keep funding the cast. They're very, very, very grateful to them. That's the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe in Glasgow and Sean Newman, who is part of the Gamelot team who make and review games. We'll put links to both of those folks in the show notes as well. I'm also sorry that uh, I'm also sorry that the Lucky Sparrow is having to shut down again because of the increase in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. We've got more lockdown restrictions in Scotland, so yeah, the likelihood of Jamie, Ian and I meeting up any time this year has basically dropped to zero unfortunately and yeah hopefully lucky hopefully lucky sparrow game cafe will be back as well they will we will make it so they have been taking lockdown way more seriously than the vast majority of businesses around them and as such have been suffering so they've been chatting on twitter about putting out potential vouchers that you can buy to get you just food and drinks at the store when they're open when they put it up i will link it on my twitter i will be buying one immediately yeah we'll we'll do the same we'll share that around 
And don't forget that if you want to help us out at all, you can join up with the Patreon for only $1 a month. You'll get access to extended versions of the casts. And this one's going to be pretty extended by the looks of the runtime we're currently on. And you can also help us out by uh, buying stuff through affiliate links. We have some Amazon affiliate links on the site. Um, some friend codes for various things that I use like Bulb Energy and people like that. But also we are now hooked up with a company for a metal dice um, we will put a link to that in the show notes metallic dice and you can use code roll with brains at the checkout to get 10% off and give us a little cut and of course we'll put links to that in all the notes shiny shiny clickety clack rocks thanks very much for listening <laughs> if you like what you've listened to then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and ratings on itunes you can also follow us on twitter at the giant brain instagram giant brain uk facebook the giant brain website giantbrain.co.uk where you can find all those affiliate links and finally email giantbrainuk at gmail.com we will read everything that you send us especially emails about ian's face being a bit silly catch you later <laughs> Thanks very much. Goodbye.